Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. A weekly podcast from the Canon, an explanation blog about the Columbus Blue Jackets. I am William Chase, joined tonight by Elaine Shercliffe. How's it going, Elaine? Hi, Will. How are you doing? Good. And we're also joined by a special guest, John Hofferman, the executive director of Columbus Ice Hockey Club. John, thank you so much for joining us. How are you tonight? Oh, glad to be here. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, so you're originally from Canada. What brought you to Columbus, Ohio? So it was family. My dad went to school at Capitol. He's a pastor. His first parish was in Lethbridge, Alberta. Uh, my brother and I were born there. We've moved several times. Edmonton, Chicago, Ottawa, Bay City, Michigan, uh, finally into Columbus. So I was actually going to school at Central Michigan University, and my family moved down here in 1983. And you just never looked back? Well, I was still going to school, so I was just visiting. But yeah, once I uh, got out of school, I came down here in 1984. Tell us a little bit about the position you hold with the Columbus Ice Hockey Club and what's inspired you to um, start the program. So I wear all kinds of hats. When I first started, it was coach, bus driver, equipment manager, program director. Uh, officially now, I am called the executive director. Um, kind of what inspired me were two different things. First, I met a gentleman named uh, Jeff Christian. Uh, I was on my way into the chiller with a group of kids. He was on his way out. Uh, he's an African-American gentleman and noticed that I had 12 kids of very diverse backgrounds. And so we passed each other a couple Saturdays in a row, and then he finally stopped me and asked me what I was doing. I said, we're doing a Learn to Skate program. He was working with the uh, PAL program, Police Athletic League. And it was just kind of getting dying down. So he was having some issues about how he was going to continue his learn to play program. So we both kind of came to realize we wanted to do the same thing to provide an opportunity for kids to be able who couldn't afford to play hockey, be able to play hockey. The second thing was uh, actually something that angered me. Um, somebody told me that I worked at uh, Barnett Recreation Center and they said, why are you teaching black kids how to play hockey? You're just... You know, it's an unfair thing to the kids. They'll never, they'll never get to play because no one will let them. So to me, it was right away. Somebody tells me I can't do something. I, I say, why not? And then try to prove them wrong. So there was no great 
plan to make this huge program. It was just, let's give the kids a chance to see what can happen. So starting a program is obviously no easy feat. Can you walk us through some of the obstacles that you had to overcome during the creation process of the Columbus Ice Hockey Club? It's not a one-man thing, right? So it's a collaborative effort by a lot of people. So Jeff and I uh, had a few friends, um, Mark Stansberry and Eric Martineau, just to name a couple. And we knew that there would be a lot of resistance. That there would be, uh, you know, people that say that we couldn't do what we were doing. But we knew it was the right thing to do to provide an opportunity where none had existed before. Some of the biggest obstacles were uh, transportation, equipment, obviously, and uh, coaching, quality coaching. Um, but we were able to make a really great collaboration with several entities, Columbus Recreation and Parks Department. Uh, the Blue Jackets were just coming in, and uh, I think their season was 2021. So this was 1998, so we knew that they were coming in, and we met some of the people there. Um, so we collaborated with them. Uh, Mark and, or Jeff and Eric actually started the 501c3. And Mark, myself, worked for Columbus Recreation Parks Department. So the collaborative thing was actually running uh, parallel programs. We were going to run CIHC and we were going to do CRPD hockey program. And that's kind of where the whole thing started. It was just, a, you know, a nice way to join forces. Nice. So you've had um, a front row seat to the growth of hockey in central Ohio since you have been involved in hockey for so long. Um, how have you seen hockey in Columbus grow over the years from professional to youth? So obviously when I first got here in 84, there was uh, just the Columbus chill. Um, I knew Kaha existed in CCYHA, but I wasn't really involved in the hockey until later. We started running uh, street or uh, floor hockey leagues at Barnett. And that was probably the late 80s, early 90s. So I wasn't really aware of everything. I knew there weren't a lot of high school programs and just, you know, coming from Canada where everybody had a hockey team, it was kind of, you know, like barren. So um, I also met another family, the uh, Donskoffs. Paul Donskoff was really instrumental in helping kind of teach me and, and show me some things. His son, Misha and Anthony actually coached with our program. So that all really helped kind of, you know, solidify for me that what we were doing was the right thing. But seeing the Blue Jackets come in and then all of a sudden all these high schools started. So from where it was in 84 to where it is now, it's really been impressive to see. Yeah, are you looking forward to see where um, hockey ends up in the next five years? It just seems like it's constantly growing. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's it could uh, really explode here. I, I think some of it is just where, like for us, where are, are some rinks located and some of the problems that we have to try to get more kids involved in it. So it's, it's, it's an exciting time, I think, for Columbus. And uh, the success of the Blue Jackets the last couple of years, I think, is really going to tip the scales and make things go a little crazy. Hopefully, anyways, that's it. Good run going here. It'd be nice. So the Columbus Ice Hockey Club is truly a place where hockey is for everyone. So many people propose that level of inclusion but do not achieve it. How has it worked here? I mean, it kind of really starts with families. So my mom instilled in her kids that honesty, respect, and integrity 
will build the character needed to succeed in life. And then she, along with my father, also taught us that, you know, we're here on this earth to serve others. And uh, we're all kind of created equal in God's eyes. So humility was also ingrained in us. But CIHC and our executive board have actually helped by crafting CIHC has five core values and a mission statement. And these are all listed on our website, but that's all part of it. So all of our coaches, volunteers, players, we, everyone's treated like a family member. So to me, it's, you know, you're not never going to be disrespectful. Well, maybe in some families, I guess, but you're never going to really be disrespectful. Or if you have a disagreement, you can talk through it and it's not going to, you know, be too, too bad. You know, you just kind of try to figure things out as, families do so that's probably the biggest thing um and then the kids in your program are all from different socioeconomic backgrounds um and of all races gender sexual orientation and physical capabilities um and so we know that diversity is rare especially in this sport um how does that diversity impact your program and the community you have built within within it so it's kind of crazy when we first started we would have lots of diversity in the gym with the kids and the kids don't know anything other than, Hey, we're going to go play some hockey. Let's just get together and do it. So it all starts with respect, how you treat others. Uh, some of our kids, a lot of them come from very difficult situations, uh, but once you get the kids together and somebody starts to show them respect, it kind of breaks down some of the barriers that everyone comes with depending on their situation. You know, some kids lack self-confidence, some lack trust, some uh, have been abused or mistreated. So everyone needs some form of nurturing and some, you know, maybe need more patience than others, but uh, everyone needs to be taught. We don't come into this world with you know, anger and hate in, instilled in us. That's something that is learned through bad life experiences and terrible situations. So we try to let everyone know that there are consequences for poor choices, but we all deserve a second chance. And eventually when you start treating others as you want to be treated, then it's kind of a way to earn respect and love. And the kids, kids really kind of feed off that. And so it's it kind of makes it pretty easy. Do you kind of, um, how do you foster that? Do you kind of like just do it by example, but also with word? Yeah. So a lot of examples, a lot of it is a, um, like, I'm far from perfect. Uh, I was in, raised by an incredible mom and dad who taught us that, uh, you know, if you're strong in your convictions and you see examples of oppression or abuse or prejudice uh, and you do nothing about it, you're just as guilty as the person who's committing the crime. But if you're there and you can do anything to help stop it, that's what you try to do. So CIT breaks down all these obstacles, and that's how we can make hockey available for everybody. But it really, it's a respect thing, right? And if, if you can show somebody that that's the right way to do it. And it's, you know, it's not a perfect world. It's not, you don't always win all those situations. But I think over time, like a lot of these kids, when they stay with our program, it's, they're really rough around the edges. So it takes a little while to break down some of the walls that they've built up. I think eventually if they stay with our program long enough and they see you know, everyone is treated with a, a lot more respect than if you just show up for an hour to play hockey and then a, you know, an hour game every week. We actually get to see the kids in our program almost every day because they're at the rec centers. So our engagement with the kids, there's a little bit more than just a standard you know, hockey program. We are in the middle of a cultural revolution, 
but the quest for racial equality is not new for you or the Columbus Ice Hockey Club. Tell us about your beliefs in this area and how they have shaped you and how might they benefit others? So, you know, for us, it's, it's uh, always been about the individual and uh, everyone's treated like a person and somebody who deserves respect and somebody who's uh, got equal rights to whatever it is that we're trying to do, whether it's learning a skill, whether it's going on a trip. Um, each of the kids has to build up, uh, like we do every single year, the uh, Willie O'Ree skills competition. And so we have 175 kids that play hockey in our program. Well, obviously you can only send one or two. So it becomes a, a tough situation to be able to you know, pick that one or two kids. So that each of the kids has to earn their way. Um, but lots of them, you know, make some mistakes and they have to learn from their mistakes. They, they don't get to go on the trip that year or something like that. So it's, it's a learning process and every one of the kids has to kind of uh, understand about the responsibility that they have and the accountability. And if they do make the mistake, there's a consequence for that action, but nobody gets kicked out of it because of that, because of whatever the problem was. There's just you know something that comes with that. And that's part of the learning curve for everybody. For me personally, I mean, I was raised in a Christian home. So a lot of my beliefs, it's not a, religious club but you know a lot of my uh, values are based that way and, and it's just how we treat um so you have gotten a chance to work alongside um willie o'ree to continue to break down barriers and ensure that hockey is for everyone um what would it mean for you to win an award that bears his name also because like he's someone who influenced your life mission so much so i I meet amazing people every day that inspire the heck out of me. But in 1998, I got to meet Willie. Um, it was a truly an inspiring moment when I heard that I was uh, nominated to be one of the semifinalists and I was nominated by several players and some hockey people from Columbus. So just being named a finalist now is probably one of the greatest honors I've ever received. To win would be unimaginable. Um, to me, I believe that I really only played a small part in helping build Columbus into a really great, inclusive hockey town. There's people like Mike and Kelly Finster um, from Ohio Sled Hockey. There's Chris Wenske and Todd Baum from the Blue Jacket Special Hockey. Brian Rosen from the Ohio Warriors Wounded Veterans. Those guys are doing tremendous work and have made uh, great strides in helping further grow hockey in Columbus. And then J.D. Kershaw and the Blue Jackets Foundation, you know, they play a much bigger role than we could ever do. It's just some of the, you know, I think over the years, it's like one and a half million dollars or some crazy number that they've given to local hockey programs. So I just, you know, I'm proud to be a small part in all. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, 
business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Um, And now you have counseled a lot of CIHC members through many challenges related to racial injustice, family crisis, incarceration, and unfortunately, even um, a few years ago, the death of one of your club members at the hands of police. How have you helped your club members cope with and grow through these experiences, not just the players, but even their family members? So that's, you know, always tough. Um, Life really throws a lot of curveballs at everybody. Um, To me, it kind of comes down to the family and the values and everything. But, you know, the biggest thing is some of the times, like when some of these things happen, it was the first time it had happened to uh, somebody. So we're we're learning at the same time they're learning. It really comes down to making sure that they understand if there was something that was done wrong, that they're responsible for it, and there's going to be some accountability because um, some of it is when you hurt somebody, right? There's a tremendous amount of trust you've broken. Those are really tough kind of things to get over. And I think with myself, I was, uh, my parents were foster parents also. So in an 18 year period, we had over 330 kids in our house. I didn't know that 18 kids in your house wasn't normal. Like I thought it happened everywhere. Um, so parents were, instilling in us values and, and we were, you know, kind of taking care of kids and I was you know, changing diapers and I, by the time I was 12, I was efficient at it. So it's pretty funny how some of your early experiences in life kind of help you farther down. But my mom was a family marriage counselor along with my dad. So just hearing how they, you know, kind of treated people during these things. And one of the hardest things for me, my mom died at the age of, uh, 53 when I was 1992. So I was 32 years of age and uh, it really impacted me, obviously. And until then, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And so when I went to the funeral, it was kind of hard. Like we had a really small church and they moved the service to a larger church and it was close to 5,000 people. Everyone came up and said, she always treated you like it was her best friend, like every single person came up and said, that's how she treated me. So to me, that's kind of impacted my life where I started to realize, you know, you meet somebody who's really has a story. Every person has a story, but we don't always spend the time to try to figure out what it is that they have to offer to the situation. So she really kind of just in her, how she lived her life taught me that, but it was kind of reaffirmed when I went to a funeral and I was feeling really down and everything and all these people kept coming up and saying what a great person and inspiring person she was. So that kind of helped me kind of form what I wanted to try to do and found some things where you see something wrong and you just want to go and help make it right. 
Do you feel like your players that have come through the program have really embraced the idea of communicating with each other and helping each other through those hard times as well? Yeah, so I think the hardest part to try to build a program is the sustainability of it. So for me, the some of the things that are kind of crazy, like I could have never thought that we could have had a program that would go 22 years in existence. Like it just didn't, you know, register with me that that is possible. Part of it is how you have kids that come through and every kid who's come through our program and stayed through high school has graduated high school. Quite a lot of them are now going to college and stuff. So of my coaching staff right now, there's probably 65 or 70% of the coaches are kids who've come through the program. So to me, it's like, it's not like we made a plan for it, but Columbus Recreation and Parks has been really instrumental. When the kids get to a certain age, like 16, 17 years of age, we've been able to bring them in and do summer employment for them and they help us. One of the biggest programs we had is our summer skating enrichment program where we would take close to 4,000 kids every summer skating and we do street hockey in the morning and skating in the afternoon. And those kids want to come and volunteer and so we started a mentoring program where all of a sudden they're becoming more involved. And I think when you get somebody involved in the program and they get to see the impact they have on a little kid, all of a sudden that kid's got a big smile on his face. He learned how to skate that day. And these guys want to just keep coming back. And so it's kind of, you know, a little crazy how everything's kind of worked out. It was never really a plan to do it. I think it just kind of helps show that when you're doing the right things and you can bring people along with you. It makes the riots much The members of the Columbus ice hockey community never seem to lose their commitment to the club or each other. Working with kids through Columbus Rec and Parks, volunteer coaching and more, and well into adulthood. What is it about your approach that fosters that level of continued engagement? And what does it mean for the hockey community as a whole? So it you know goes back to our values. We uh, firmly believe in them, and we teach them on a on a regular basis. I think the keeping the accountability and the responsibility on the players like nobody's perfect, right? And we've not had this great thing where nobody fails or nobody uh, you know gets into trouble. So um, as long as they understand, and I think every kid really wants to that discipline in their life, they don't always get it. Um, and when you hold them accountable, they might be upset and then they have to learn how to deal with their emotions because I mean, that's hockey in a nutshell, isn't it? It's a highly emotional, volatile game. And if you don't control those emotions, you know, things get out of hand quickly. So to me, it's a, it's, it's how hockey kind of reflects what, what life is in general. So to me, the same skills that we learn in hockey, those are the probably the best skills that you could have in life just to kind of be successful, but holding kids accountable, um, showing them the right way to do things, I think gets them all kind of excited about it. And then that mentoring program where we let them come back and help with the kids, the younger kids or the learn to skate kids, they all kind of get to buy into, Hey, this is kind of cool. I'm teaching somebody. The funniest thing is like seeing the next summer when some kids were helping and then uh, you, get, you get the group that comes back and some kid comes running up to one of our coaches and goes, oh, you're the one that taught me. You're going to skate with me today. And then you see your coach getting all happy because they're like, hey, this kid remembered me. So it's the inspiration is kind of like uh, you know, just how it, how it 
does it. It's it's very organic. The kids really are sincere. So obviously, when you're sincere with them, they uh, they get that feeling, and it just and it makes it a lot of fun. What is your ultimate dream for hockey in Columbus and Ohio? Well, that would be cool to see uh, the Blue Jackets win a Stanley Cup. That would be my uh, professional side of it. Um, on a selfish note, I would like to see the city maybe build a couple of uh, rinks at some of the rec centers. I think that, for us, is one of our biggest hurdles. Uh, so having a kid in one of the, or I'm sorry, a rink in one of the rec centers where the kids go to, that, that would break down huge barriers for us. Because one of the biggest problems we have is having to go to a rec center, get the kids, take them to where the equipment is, and then take them to a a rink so there's a lot of barriers that would really be broken down if you have a city rink in the rec centers so that you know that's what the dream is right is something far-fetched so let's try to throw that out there that would be my biggest dream i've heard people talk about things like equipment libraries uh, is that something that you guys have considered doing where people kind of like rent the equipment and then return it at the end of the season or after like because kids grow, you know, kids grow so fast. Um, is that something you guys have considered or is that just not a feasible thing? We actually have had an equipment bank for about 15 years. So uh, the hockey community has donated to us almost every single year. Um, we get equipment donated. The city actually has a uh, equipment um, fund for us. So we get uh, some new equipment every single year and then USA Hockey some grants. So we actually have an equipment bank located at one of the recreation centers and we basically do that. So we'll either rent it, as long as they're in our program, they only pay one time for rental fee. And that's obviously the younger kids outgrow it before they outwear it. And once you get a little bit older, then sometimes that equipment does wear out. But we, uh, we actually do that and that is probably one of the best things that we did 10 or 15 years ago was to create that because that does break down one of our biggest hurdles, which is the Yeah, that's actually really cool. A few weeks ago, we had president of the Columbus Ice Hockey Club, Mike Watson, on to talk. Can you kind of talk about your connection with him and kind of how it is working with him? So there was a story that came out in the dispatch um, October 23rd, 2006, and the gentleman who did the article asked me if I, if I wanted to put in my personal cell phone. I'm like, yeah, I don't care. It's not going to be that big of a deal. I probably won't get any calls. So the very next morning at, uh, I think it was about 8.15 in the morning, my phone rings. I'm like, I don't work till noon. So I'm like, thinking, man, should I even get this? So I answer the call and this guy says, hey, my name is Mike. Uh, I wanted to know, do you do hockey for three-year-olds? So I thought it was pretty much a, a joke. So we actually had hockey or learn to play was that night at Easton. So I said, yeah, well, just bring him out. I said, as long as this is a young man who wants to be on the ice and it's not you that wants him and he's you know clinging to the board, screaming that he doesn't want to go out there. I said, you know, we'll just give it a shot and see what happens. So Mike shows up with Spence and... He buzzes around the rink for a little while and uh, jumps off and had a blast and it started our relationship and uh, it's actually been extremely successful. Mike uh, takes care of all the business side, which is good for me because I'm not a business person and uh, 
we bounce ideas off each other on a daily basis. So this uh, club in the last seven years, eight, I don't know, it's even longer. It's, it's about 13 years now, 14 maybe. So it's it's been in a relationship that has uh, blossomed and he's a very like-minded person and he sees where we can continue to grow. So I don't think I would have been nearly as successful had I not met Mike that day. Yeah. Do you feel like it is important to create those kind of relationships um, to so that the program continues? Absolutely. Uh, the succession plan has to be like, as much as I would like to be here forever, uh, you know, we're not going to outlive this and we want the program to go on and, get, and succeed. There's a, you know, several people that always uh, are wanting to get involved. And to us, that's what it's all been about. It's been about collaborative efforts with big picture people. So people who see what's really important and not just, hey, you know what, I want to win a trophy for my kid this year. Where can I go coach? So it's really been cool to see everywhere we go, how, how certain things, doors open, right? Opportunities end up happening and you meet somebody and next thing you know, another great opportunity here. Mike was definitely one of those opportunities that has made us grow tremendously over the last few years. Well, John, that's all we had for tonight. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. It was definitely, you know, really unique to talk with you about the Columbus Ice Hockey Club. And, you know, talking about the Chiller reminded me of, you know, growing up, I I used to play hockey at the Chiller rinks, uh, not quite in on the league level, but just before that, kind of like those instructional classes. And, you know, I used to go to Columbus chill games all the time as well. So, you know, it'd be really awesome to get back to Columbus and see all that. It'd be nice to just get on some ice again soon. I haven't been on, I haven't played in forever, but it would be awesome to get back out there and play a little bit again. Yeah. Well, it's definitely a sport you can play forever or at least, uh, you know, deep into your adult life. So it is, I keep telling them, you know, the kids, it's not like you're done playing once high school's over. You guys get it. And Columbus is home to one of the largest adult leagues, so it's kind of cool, too. This was great. I um, I didn't know a ton about Columbus ice hockey, and for me, it's I, I love hearing the other programs in Columbus, too, because I how I met Mike was through the AAA because I was interning, uh, doing their social media in the beginning. Like created, I created all their social media. But so it's like really nice to see the other sides of the hockey world because I knew there was so much more, um, but I don't live in Columbus now, so I don't get to see it up close as much. So for me, it's like a whole new world. Well, I absolutely love being here. It's really cool is how I've heard so many people go, oh, wow, you get to be on that because this podcast is reaching farther than I think you guys realize. It's pretty cool to Wow, thank you so much for saying that. That's really awesome to hear. I've I've wondered kind of how uh, how far our reach is, so that's really awesome for you to say that. But yeah, thanks again. This was awesome to being able to talk with you. Well, we absolutely, or I absolutely enjoyed it. So thank you so much for having me. Well, have a good night, John. Our theme music is the song "Green Eyes" by Angela Pearlie and Howlin' Moons, off of their album "Homemade Vision." Angela's newest album is called 430, and you should definitely go check it out. Check her out at AngelaPerley.com, and you should also check out Angela Pearlie on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for videos and live stream concerts from her home during the stay-at-home period. Rate us and leave us a review on iTunes, and as always, we welcome your comments and questions. 
You can tweet at us at CBJ Cannon and comment on jacketscannon.com from all of us at the Cannon. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. You're cool.